Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review, and hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always... By Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. This is Matt McLaren. And this is Jam Session, the podcast version 262, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we've got a lot, man. We've got a lot of cowboy stuff to peruse here in this version of the podcast. We're going to maybe throw in a little Rangers. We got some people giving away a lot of tickets for speeding, which I think is going to be a really interesting conversation that we will have. But before we get to any of that, of course, as always, Greening Law, my friends. It Maybe this was the weekend and you're like, yeah, finally happened to me. I had that car wreck. Maybe you were standing in line at some place at a business and a ceiling tile fell off and landed on your head. I don't know what happened. But in cases like that, that's why you need the Green Team. Robert Greening and his staff at Greening Law, it's a free consultation. And, and that may be the best part. Like, you get to find out if you have a case and it doesn't cost you anything. You just call them and they'll walk you through the process. And they may say, like they did to me, yeah, you got a case, or they may say, hey, actually, you don't. But the whole point is the consultation's free, so you can find out. And that's why you pick up the phone, dial 972-934-8900, and just tell them what your situation is, man. doesn't get any better than that, because all you're doing is asking, hey, you want to take me on as a client? It's a win-win situation, because they don't get paid unless you get paid. I love that, man, that kill what you eat, eat what you kill. And that's because when no situation, you never have to worry how hard somebody's working for you, whether they're burning the midnight oil, whether they're doing everything in their power to get it done for you. Green Law will do it, man. I'm telling you straight up, they will work for you. Give them a call, 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. Oh, these Cowboys, man, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the opening of training camp. Eventually, it's going to be here. It's going to be out in Oxnard, of course, as always. It's happening later this month, and I believe it's July 27th, which is what, about two weeks, roughly, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, July 27th is the official opening date of training camp. So you look at that, I mean, we're just a little over two weeks out from the Cowboys beginning the 2022 season already. And it's interesting because you sent these over and I thought, man, these are, this is an interesting conversation because you look at what they've accomplished in the offseason from the time that the San Francisco playoff game ended and we all were like, oh my God, you can't even win a freaking home playoff game. 
to where we sit now going into the 2022 season. The best and worst moves that they've done this offseason. And we've got four moves on each. So let's start with the best. We'll give you guys the positive stuff first. So maybe the best thing that they did, if you could only pick one thing, it might just have been the fact that they were able to retain Dan Quinn, bring him back, and keep that continuity going with what he was able to accomplish defensively last year. Well, I thought that was the best move of the offseason because why? Most people assumed he was getting a head coaching job. Yeah, I did. And he wasn't, wasn't going to be here. Yeah, I mean, I think I did too. I think most people did. Uh, the defense was terrific uh, in general last year. Uh, he clearly made an impact. He's a former head coach. He's a charismatic dude. And so you just figured the way the defense played, especially because they haven't really been all that special lately, that uh, that would lead to a head coaching job. And so when it didn't, man, I was like, that's got to be number one because now – you don't have to wonder whether Michael Parsons can replicate what he did last year. You know he'll at least be in position to do it. Uh, you don't have to wonder whether J. Ron Curse will replicate last year. At least you know he'll be able in position to do it. And, uh, you know, man, the thing I like most about him, dog, he ain't scared to take chances, man. And that's why those two guys had huge seasons. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I was stoked when they brought in Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator before last season. I think all of us were stoked that they were able to keep him and he didn't take a job. I mean, he probably could have gotten something, but I don't think, I mean, it got to a point where, you know, you go back a few months ago when the coaching carousel was going around, I think the opportunities that he wanted went in a different direction. So he pulled his name out of Jacksonville and all that, and he didn't have what he wanted out there. So, yeah, I, th I think Dan Quinn coming back, and, man, we talked about this maybe two or three episodes ago. It's, it's hard to imagine that the turnovers will generate at the level that they did last year. But like you just mentioned, I think that that's the key is they may not have statistically that type of takeaway, but they're going to be in position to make the plays because that's what Dan Quinn does. Dude, I, I like the creativity, man. And, you know, if you look at it just from Dan Quinn's perspective, creativity – in terms of saying, hey, Trayvon Diggs is ready to travel with the best receivers. That's what I choose to do this week. You know, I'm going to let Michael Parsons put his hand down because we need a defensive end. Oh, my, let's try him. Oh, wow, he could do that thing. Uh, he can also rush from linebacker. And, uh, you know, then figuring out, pinpointing J. Ron Curse, who'd never done anything in his career, basically, except be a special teams guy, find a role for him. If, if you've got a coach who can be creative and find spots to help guys succeed, well, hell, bro, that's what coaching is. Yeah. So that would be the best thing that happened probably this offseason. Behind that, and, and this was a move that they had to make that needed to get done. It got done, and, you know, it was a win for the Cowboys, the fact that they're able to keep this guy, but Demarcus Lawrence, because restructuring his contract, let's not forget, there was a time where we kind of thought they, they might just be releasing Demarcus Lawrence. His production is not up to the level of pay that he was making, and now I think you can accept that a little bit more of where he's at and what you've gotten from him the last couple of years. Now he's making money that's, that's kind of more equal to what we've gotten from him. I think the thing about it is, man, I think uh, when Demarcus Lawrence, uh, if he wasn't going to take a pay cut, we were like, he's out of here. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence agent, David Canner, smart guy. I'm sure he did what smart guys do. Check the market. Hey, if Demarcus Lawrence were to come free, what, uh, what you got in mind? And he checked it out enough to find out that it's not—it's either not substantially better than the thirty million Dallas was offering, and so it's just yeah. like you know what—if you like it here, your family likes it here, you already know everything. You might as well just stay here. So take the pay cut. Uh, There's no shame in the game. That's how the game works these days. If you're not meeting your numbers, 
And 30 million guaranteed is not bad. No, not at all. I, I think a lot of us would be more than happy to take that. But, you know, I mean, we, we and it is fair because when he got paid, and, and we've talked about this multiple times, he got paid because he got sacks. I mean, that's just reality. He stopped getting sacks, and the production for which he got paid went away. So now the fact that they're able to keep him, because he is a very, very good defensive player. I mean, he, he's one of their two or three best defensive players. He's a very good defensive lineman. He's a great edge guy. Problem is, you, you got to get the sacks. And if the sacks could come back somehow, that would be phenomenal. I don't know what they're going to this year, because again, when we talk about it, you look at the defensive line. I don't know that there's somebody else on the defensive line that teams like to me when you play the Cowboys defensively you go okay got to be careful if we're going to throw it to Trayvon Diggs side of the field make sure you know where 11 is and then hey uh let's go ahead and double team Demarcus Lawrence and that's all you're worried about yeah pretty much I don't I don't think I mean but you know a certain point is when you paid him you the great defensive players um be have to beat double teams to get sacks yeah yeah, ain't nobody getting single teamed all the time, especially in pass rushing situations. And so, you know, man, uh, if you understand that, then um, that's just what it is. And his job is he's got to get sacks. He's got to get, uh, I would say, you really need him to get 10. Um, he's got to at least be at eight with a whole bunch of pressures and hits and stuff. But he's got to be in the 10 range just because, you know, Mike is coming. If you got two guys in double digits, then you got now you got something cooking. Yeah, and you got to believe if he can be healthy, and he didn't have health last year, obviously, he didn't even play in half the games, that if he can just stay healthy, that that production's going to be there. And hopefully he can return to what he was in 2017, 2018, when he was getting the double-digit sacks and, and was quite the force. We'll see how it turns out, but being able to restructure that deal, a great move for the Cowboys. Third, and this is, you're able to restructure Tank while not giving Dalton Schultz a deal. And franchise tagging him, I, I still, I mean, it, and I know that the numbers have been there, but to me, I almost feel like the numbers are there, like it could have been any tight end. I just don't see him being that level of a tight end. Man, you know, I, I don't know why people act like they don't get this. I saw somebody on Twitter. Uh... I can't remember who, but he he posted something. It was like he put up Dallas Goddard stats yeah, with uh, Dalton Schultz, and he just sat him there as if to say that, well, look at that, Dallas. You know, Dalton Schultz is as good as Dallas Goddard. <laughs> okay. And I would say he's not. And what, you know, but here's the deal, man. Dalton Schultz is a really good, solid player. He's a really good player. But there's nothing special about his game. Yeah. You're not paying people double eight digits if they're not special. The only reason he's getting paid this year is they don't have an option. I mean, it's his lucky year. Sometimes it just falls right for you. The river card is exactly what you need. And, you know, man, that's why he's getting paid. If they had another option, he wouldn't be there. I mean, they just let him walk. Because he's not an eight-digit player the way you think of an eight-digit player. He's not one of the top five tight ends in the game. And don't tell him, oh, he's got too many catches. We're talking about impact, man. And those top five, whether it's Darren Waller, whether it's Kittles or a couple others, man, those cats are making impacts. They're making big plays down the field on a regular basis. So he's good. He's just not at that other level. And there's no way in the world you want to be investing, you know, eight digits a year in Dalton Schultz, even though he's a good player. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, honestly, and I know it's the franchise tag, and like you said, you know, you didn't have an option, but he's going to make $10.9 million this year. And I don't view him as an $11 million a year guy, even on the franchise tag. Like, that no. seems high to me for Dalton Schultz. That's why it's his, I mean, it just fell right for him. He earned it because he was in position. He got opportunity because of Blake Jarwin's injury, and he did what you're supposed to. You gave me opportunity, and I crushed it. So, uh, Cowboys don't have a tight end on the roster that they feel more comfortable in, so it's my lucky year. Yeah, apparently it is. And, and like, and we've talked about that. I just, to me, Dalton Schultz is an easily replaceable piece. They're hoping that Jake Ferguson, the kid that they drafted this year at tight end, probably can develop and that they feel comfortable moving forward with him after this season so they can let Dalton Schultz walk. I would Absolutely. think. And But being the Cowboys, who knows? We're probably going to have, oh, breaking news right before training camp. Cowboys signed Dalton Schultz to a five-year, $60 million deal. I would just shake my head. <laughs> I mean, I don't put anything past this team. I'll tell you that. So finally, so again, the top three moves of the offseason, Dan Quinn restructuring tank, not giving Dalton Schultz a deal. And then oddly, one that is out of their own control that they tried not to do, losing Randy Gregory, because much like Dalton Schultz, like when I saw the numbers that they were going to sign Randy Gregory for in my head, I thought, wow, man, like that is a dude you're basically paying him because you've been hearing about potential for forever because he's never actually produced on a level that is anywhere near the contract that he ended up getting. Exactly. And that's it's And again, man, we're not talking that he's not a good player because he is, but. We've been waiting on Randy Gregory to be that dude, that 12-letter cuss word since yeah. 2015, bro. He'll show you glimpses. He made a lot of big plays last year. I mean, he had a good year. That's why they wanted to re-sign him. But, and I wouldn't have been like, oh, God, they re-signed us. It's terrible. I'd just been like, ah, you know what, man? Let's be real. It's been like Jalen Brunson to me. Like, yeah, I want to re-sign him. And, man, that money's large for him because he's good but not great. But, yeah, okay, okay. And so I feel the same way. Like, I think what will happen is, you know what I say, man. It ain't my job to have hope, faith, and optimism that things going to work out in the positive. Randy Gregory still doesn't have more than six and a half sacks in his career. <laughs> Maybe this is the year he gets to double digits. But I just think that uh, they won't be sad that they didn't sign him to a five-year, $70 million deal with 28 guaranteed. Yeah, I, I mean, again, we're talking about a guy who's making $16 million a year on this new contract that he got with Denver, who I, I feel like saved the Cowboys. Yep. Man, and, and when you go back and you look at this, and, and I know there's injuries, and I know he's had off-field issues, and I know there's that whole thing with him, and now the way that the league is, perhaps things are going to be different. But when you look at this, this is a dude who came in the league in 2015 and has played 2015-16, didn't play at all in 17. 18, didn't play at all in 19, 20 and 21. He's played in 50 games. So you've got, a, you've got a guy who's been in the league that long, and he's played in 50 games, and you're going to pay him $16 million a year, which some of you, well, he's, he produces like he's a force off the line. Do you realize that Randy Gregory has 16 and a half sacks in his career? <laughs> in his career, not in one. In his career, he has 16 and a half sacks, and he's getting $16 million a year. Now, how many games has he played? He's played 50. 
out of a possible 112. I mean, think about that. He hadn't even played in half the possible games. And to me, like, and that was always what it was with him. It's always that way with him. He turns 30 in November. You've got a dude who you just don't know for sure what you're getting from. And we all would see the flashes. I mean, all of us saw that. And you'd be like, man, dude, like if that guy gets it, he could be something. And for whatever reason, like for $16 million a year, I just was like, man, no, I'm good. Like, thanks. And I'm actually glad that Denver swooped in and took him. Well, he'll show some flashes this year. And he'll have some moments and he'll have some great plays. But it's can you do it for 16 games, man? And at 30, with what he's put his body through chemically, uh, let's just call it what it is, uh, you know, you hope it doesn't have an effect on him, but maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, I'm just – I wasn't sad that Randy Gregory decided to go to Denver. And that's one of those contracts that to me – like I wouldn't be – let's say he has a good season this year. Hell, let's say he has a career-high eight sacks and and he plays 17 games, and, and it's great. I just don't think that that contract in the back part of that, like the last two, three years, like the back half of it, I don't think it's going to be worth it at all. I just don't. So do you want to pay a guy that much money for maybe a season or two of decent production? I just don't see it. Nope, I don't either. And that's why I go, hey, it's not a bad move. Yeah, so those are the four best moves of the offseason. The four worst moves of the offseason. And I I don't think there's any debate the worst move of the offseason. And all of you that are listening right now are probably saying it in your head, or maybe you said it out loud, and we're in agreement. I think if you shot Jerry Jones and Steven up with some true serum, they might even admit they screwed this. But the trade of Amari Cooper was a god-awful move. It didn't have to be done, and they did it, and what they got in return for it is a joke. A bad joke. Name a funny joke. Yeah, it's trash. Uh, no, nah, man, it was it was a terrible decision because they took a position of strength. And you know what? I might even look at it differently if Michael Gallup were 100% healthy. But since you knew he wasn't <laughs> and he was supposed to miss the first two, three, four games of the regular season as he recovers from a torn ACL at the end of last year, dude, like what are y'all doing? You took a strength and made it a weakness because the guy was making $20 million a year. Yeah. Um, now, in their defense – like, what was it, a week after they traded him, the wide receiver market just exploded, and now $20 million seems like a pretty fair price. Yeah. Um, but here's the, here's the deal, dog. You got to be – check this out, man. This is real talk. There's a bunch of people's jobs who it is to be ahead of the curve and understand where, where the market is going. Check this out, bro. Why is it the Cowboys built the star in Frisco? Why is it not the star in, you know – Rockwall or the star in Keller or the star in Prosper. Why is it the star in Frisco? It's because they had some freaking foresight. It's because they had engineers and all these smart people tell them 20 years from now, the place you want to be, Frisco, baby. And they spent a lot of money to get that information. They spent years building up and buying property up there. I'm sure people are like, oh, we got a sucker. Jones bought another property up here. And lo and behold, Frisco blew up. And they were right on tune with it business-wise. They got to do the same thing with football, man. You got to know that the potential for the wide receiver market could blow up because of the factors involved. Um, and at least get something worthy for giving up Cooper. But they didn't. And I just keep saying, man, they are spraying Nickel away in training camp from having James Washington be a key guy. And that's just that's just bad. Yeah, it is, man. And that's... 
I think you're exactly right. Like you, you got to be able to read the room, so to speak. And the Cowboys, it feels like with a lot of these big things that they've done in the last handful of years, they have not read things correctly where the market was going, what's going to be coming down the, the way and, and how things will play out that other teams feel like they're a little bit ahead of the Cowboys and being able to do that, which is part of the reason why they're stuck where they're stuck. <laughs> And they haven't been able to advance where we would like them to get to at the in the playoffs, and and that's I don't that Cooper trade will never be good. I, there's I mean <laughs> I just it blows my mind they had a wide receiver like Amari Cooper. They literally spent a first round draft pick on the dude. They gave him that contract, and then they just decided really through no fault of his own. I mean, if they again if they wanted to, they could have made him a bigger feature of the offense. They could have featured him more. They could have Cooper Cup the guy if they wanted to. <laughs> you know, and, and be, I just, I don't know. That that one is one that I, I just, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I expect him to go up and have a great season in Cleveland. Hell, I thought it was funny. I, I started playing Madden again as we're getting closer to the season. And right. I, I traded because I have last year's version before the trade. So I traded Amari Cooper to the Browns. I got a first-round pick from Cleveland for him. <laughs> Can you believe that? And then I met Cleveland in the Super Bowl. And I was like, holy uh-huh. crap. I was like, Amari Cooper, I trade him, and look what he does. Mm. Um, dude, it's uh, it's a trip, man. I think the thing about it is that uh, you just – everybody else is loading up, is gearing up, and the Cowboys are getting rid of good players. And that's what just has you shaking your head like – why, man? It's just money. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I think all of us are thinking. The next one, so Amari Cooper, the trade, the by far the worst move of the offseason. Now, I thought it was interesting because on your list you put next up, you had drafting Tyler Smith. Yeah, and here's why. Um, if you want an offensive lineman, you know, maybe there was one to get there. Here's my problem. Um Tyler Smith, to be a first-round pick, is supposed to dominate at Tulsa. He didn't dominate, bro. He had some moments. Yeah. And I'm I'm not interested in, um, you know, well, he looked good. He, had, he tried hard. He's got a lot of improvement, a lot of growth. Dog, your Cowboys are trying to win now. The window's now. And, uh, you know, they, they were essentially giving him the left guard job. Not that he beat out uh, Connor, Connor McGovern just yet. And so I just have a lot of questions, man. There was, there was some, to me, there were some better options there that you could have taken with that pick as opposed to a project who has what can only be considered some shady tape. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind a Jermaine Johnson there from the Jets. I mean, you, that's why you took Sam Williams in the second round because you wanted a defensive end. Yeah. Uh, sure as hell wouldn't have minded Devin Lloyd from Utah. He went 27. Um, wouldn't have even mad, mad, minded the, the, I call him the Greek dude. Uh, what is it? Carphalitis. Oh, uh, Carlaftis. Yeah. Carlaftis from Purdue at 30 to the Chiefs. Uh, cause it was all positions of need. And to me, they had fewer question marks than Tyler Smith. Doesn't matter if Tyler Smith is good three years from now and then becomes Zach Martin. Because guess what, bro? The core of this team will be in their 10th year and it won't matter. Man, I mean, it's 
it's when when I think all of us when they made that pick and we go back and you sit there and go okay so you just drafted a guy and I know that they can explain away the penalties in college and stuff but that's something that they really struggled with as a team last year that's something that you look at Connor Williams and you look at Connor McGovern and you look at some of the players that they have on this offensive line and they are banking a lot that this dude Tyler Smith can come in and is some colossal upgrade and maybe he will be you know you, you hope that he is but I, I think a lot of us, when they made that pick, we were all like, who? What? And it wasn't a big surprise. Like, people started pegging him too early. They fell in love with him. And, uh, you know, he has every opportunity to uh, to prove that he can be that dude. But I ain't got no expectations for it to happen this year. And they need him this year. The next move that I think all of us, and again, this is one of those things. I think I saw somebody put this out the other day. Like, it's it's super feasible. They could have easily have made this happen where you still have Amari Cooper on this team and you have Vaughn Miller at linebacker. Now, for whatever reason, the Cowboys decided to massively undershoot Vaughn Miller. He says that he would have taken less money to sign with the Cowboys. I mean, he flat out has, he said, I think it was in the athletic as I recall earlier this week, he was in an article where he had said he had told them like he wanted to go to Dallas. Like he would have taken a hometown, a hometown discount because it's Dallas, but they offered him so much less that he was like, I'm not taking that much less. Yeah, now, you know, I have mixed feelings about Von Miller, but I do know this. If you put him on the other side of the tank and you have Michael Parsons, you got three legitimate pass rushers. And no, Von Miller's not giving you 14 sacks during the season. But with those playing with those two, he might give you eight and a half and a bunch of pressures. And then at playoff time, we all know he knows how to perform. Um, but the bigger issue to me, Doug, is here we go again, man. The league has showed us what they're doing right now. Yeah. What is it? Load up and win. Worry about the cap and ramifications later. If you have a team capable of winning – Load up, go for it. Because if you get it, nobody cares. And the opportunity to get it is there because there is no dominant team right now in the NFL. There's no Alabama. Your Cowboys are doing the opposite. Which is, oh, we're going to try to sustain this window and keep it going. And let me tell you this, Doc. If they were to go to State Warriors and they had won some championships, okay, sustaining the window is fine. If you're Tampa Bay and you want to say, hey, let's run it back because we just won a title. Okay, cool. Yeah. Y'all ain't done nothing, man. And so keeping this core together just to extend winning seasons at 10 and 7 or 9 and 8 or whatever, but no real playoff impact, that don't do nothing, bro. Load up and go for it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, man, because, again, you seem to believe that you have a quarterback that can take you there, which is why you invested in him the way that you did. And that's what's always been so maddening for me is that you you invested in Dak. You believe you can win with Dak. So if that's the case, you have to know that that window is probably finite and, and you don't go out and invest in, in some other things and you just want to give, well, we can't pay everybody. When we have seen, to, you can pay everybody if you wanted to. But that's that's the most frustrating thing to me is if this was how you were going to approach things and you're going to trade Amari Cooper and any time that somebody came in that might be a little bit pricey, you, oh, well, we can't do that, then why did you invest in Dak? Bro, that's the, uh, that's the proverbial $64,000 question. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't get it. Yeah, I think they're just uh, they're caught in an in-between world, and frankly, you can't be in an in-between world 
when you're uh, when you're trying to win a championship, man. You're either all in or it's a rebuild situation. It's not kind of lukewarm step in, step out. And they just refuse to go for it, man. It's perhaps from the it's perhaps the result of all those times they had salary cap issues in the past. But the game has changed, man, and so you got to change with it. Who is that? Philadelphia? Somebody got a $33 million cap hit? I mean, the cap is so big, sometimes you got to deal with it. Yeah, and, that, and that's what's crazy, man. You look at some of these other teams and the moves that they're making outside of the Rams. I mean, it's not just the Rams. There are other teams that identify players, and they go after them, and they get them. And that's what the thing with the Cowboys is, where you just sit there and you go, man, you – put all this money into your quarterback you believe you've got that guy and then you do things like that and and it just I don't I, oh. and now you wonder why you're going to lose in the first round of the playoffs if you get to the playoffs <laughs> this year and then finally the and this is going to be concerning and we'll go through this and, and you, you just never know there's a lot of ifs on this team but one of the things and we played man this might have been two three weeks ago now we played some Jerry Jones comments and he talked about how excited he was about their young players and how much they're going to be counting on their young players, not just their draft class, but undrafted free agents coming in here and making an impact. And you and I both are like, I mean, my, like, if that's your plan in the NFL, you trade away Amari Cooper, you don't get in on like the Von Millers and things of that, you're counting on unproven rookies to give you depth to, to do something special. And again, if they were top ten rookies, you know, like you know, you you were you were drafted high in every round, that might be a little different. But that has not been the case in Dallas, man. And so, there's no rookies. I just told you I don't like Tyler Smith in, a, in this particular draft at the first round. There's no rookies. You, I, I guess, what is Jalen Tolbert? You think can come in and, and make a difference? And he's going to be the third receiver, maybe the fourth. It doesn't even seem set up for rookies to uh, to have a big impact, man. Well, they're going to have to, according to the Joneses. <laughs> That's what they're counting on. Yeah, I mean, I could see where it it could possibly go right if everything fell right. But well, I mean, that, I mean, you're you just know. counting on a lot because you're counting on Tyler Smith, assuming that he wins, which I think a lot of us believe he'll be your starting left guard. So you're counting right. on him to be better than, or at least what Connor Williams was last year, right out of the shoot. You know, you're counting on, as you mentioned, Jalen Tolbert, your third-round pick, who very well may have to be your number two wide receiver for the first two or three games of the season if Michael Gallup is going to miss some time, and, and depending on what they do with James Washington. Sam Williams, who I guess you're rotating in that you're hoping with Dorrance Armstrong can, can give you a little something on the other side of Tank. You know, J John Ridgeway, who's a, a, just a large human being that they're hoping – gets in on that defensive tackle rotation. And quite honestly, probably they're hoping that he can do what Tristan Hill was supposed to do a little bit. But outside of that, the problem becomes with all the depth pieces. When you get past like the starters, there's so many of these like street free agent guys that are undrafted or some of their own draft picks that they're, I mean, they're really hoping can step up and give them some things in some of these rotational spots. And if there's an injury or two, in some cases, your only option is going to a rookie. Dude, it's it's just not set up for success to me. And that's why I have uh, impending gloom about this season. Hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, everybody would like to see the Cowboys make a real run. It's exciting for the city. It's good for everybody who does business with the Cowboys or, or around the Cowboys. But, dude, they're just not a better team than they were at the end of last year as we, as we show up for training camp. Yeah, man. I mean, it's <laughs> – I've been seeing the same thing. I mean, I look at it. I, I saw somebody, man, what was it? Oh, somebody the other day at the station was like, hey, 
you know, we were talking about the NFL and stuff. Like, what do you think, Cowboys Super Bowl contenders this year? And I looked and I was like, are you being serious? Is that a real question? <laughs> He's like, you don't think so? I was like, man, I hope they make the playoffs. Like, I don't know if they're, like, to me, they're a borderline playoff team with the way I feel. This is probably the least, what am I trying to say? Like, my outlook is probably the least positive going into a, a Cowboys season that it's been in a long-ass time. Least optimistic you've been? Yeah. It, I mean, honestly, it is. Because, like, normally I joke and I say, oh, Cowboys go to the Super Bowl, because why not? You know, last year I thought they had a good chance to be one of the better teams in the NFC. I, I, I've thought that for the last handful of years. I uh, like. I'm just hoping that they can win nine or ten games this year and get into the playoffs. Like, it, I would not be surprised if this is an eight and nine team that misses the playoffs. Would not surprise me at all. Nope. And I don't think you're going to see what they did last year. It's a tough opening couple of games. The way that they've just kind of looked at this and said, well, here's what we've got. Oh, we got some cool rookies. I mean, man, I it's like you said, I hope we're wrong. I hope I hope I'm way off on this because in years past, I've been very optimistic and they sucked. So maybe being not as optimistic, <laughs> they'll actually be good. Who knows? Uh, let's hope so, bro. But they got they got a lot of uh, they need a lot of different dudes to step up. And uh, if that happens, fantastic. Uh, if not. A lot of sad singing and slow walking off that AT&T field. Dude, I mean, it just feels like... I mean, I was probably most disappointed in 2020 because I believed that they were way better than, and they ended up being 6-10. and 10. You know, but there's been a couple of seasons like that in years past. I mean, coming off when Dak and Zeke were rookies and they went 13-3 and three, and that was a tough loss to the Packers in the playoffs, that next season, I was stoked, man. I was like, all right, we got, a, we got the quarterback. This the, Zeke Elliott's a badass. And then they go out in 2017 and miss the playoffs. And we've seen this is a team. People forget this. This is a team who has not been in the playoffs in back-to-back years since 06, 07. Bro. Yeah, how long ago that is, man. Yeah. My dude who just, my dude who just graduated was in pre-K. <laughs> I mean, think about that. that but, that's, but that's what they are. I mean, it, it's, that's what they are. They make the playoffs one year. And they did it through Garrett, and so far, I know Mike McCarthy's only two seasons in. You're hoping you can get some consistency and at least get to the playoffs, but just based on what we've seen from this franchise and and how they've operated in the last 15 years, you win double-digit games, and then the next year you fall off. That's what they do. And that's what I expect them to do this year. I mean, they haven't won, and and we've talked about this, they haven't won back-to-back seasons with 10-plus wins since 94-95. Dude, that's forever. <laughs> I mean, that's their Super Bowl teams are the last time that they had 10 or more wins in consecutive years. I mean, that's insane. Dude, that's a, that's that's forever, man. It is forever. Which, and it, it's up there with some of the worst teams in the league. It is. In and terms it, of yes. stretches. And you look at it and you sit there and you go, okay, we're fighting against all that and everything that we've seen. And you want me to believe that this year. This is the team that's going to accomplish something. And, and maybe they are. Maybe Dak is going to play at an MVP level like he did in the few games before he got hurt that season. You know, maybe they're on that level. But I, I just, this is, I, I feel like we might be in for a tough one this year. Yeah, I hope, I hope we're wrong. I hope we're wrong. You know, disappointing, perhaps. I just, I don't have uh, very high expectations. I don't either, I which is weird because I'm, I'm the one that always has high expectations. I'm the, I'm the guy who's always like, oh, yeah, they'll win 10 games. They'll win 12 games. 
I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like this has got nine and eight written all over it where Philadelphia wins the division and you're on the outside looking in. The good news is now there's an extra wild card, so maybe you can sneak in as a seven seed and get your ass kicked in the first round. Not like it matters. Doesn't matter if you're a high seed and you have a home playoff game. Doesn't matter. Nope. But, uh, you know, different year, different cast. We'll see. But, hey, I ain't optimistic. Yeah, nobody is. I can tell you this, something you can be optimistic about, and that's Freeway Tire Shop. That is the one consistent that we talk about on the podcast. As up and down as the Cowboys can be, the consistency and the quality that you get from Freeway Tire Shop. You know what? You should text Jerry and Steven and be like, hey, you guys need to get to Freeway Tire Shop, spend some time around JR and his crew, and you can see how to, how to successfully operate a business. Yeah, man, he's, he's, uh, he's the best. Uh, the thing about him is you can trust him. You can trust him to diagnose the issue with your car. You can trust him to use quality parts to fix your car, bro. You can trust him to charge you a fair price, and then you can trust him, bro, to stand behind his work. Yeah. That's what makes Freeway Tire the spot where I tell everybody, hey, it's worth the drive to downtown. It's not that far to let JR look at your car. Do it. It's very easy. It's just north of downtown Dallas. And if you don't live like right next to downtown Dallas, the peace of mind I think that you get from a mechanic that you can trust is worth it. It's Freeway Tire Shop. You can find them online where you can request a quote. You can schedule your appointment at freewaytireshop.com. So this is interesting what you sent me. And you sent an article that was about speeding in Texas and a new analysis that reveals where police pulled over the most people, including some little rinky-dink town that I had never heard of until I read this article, where they pulled, there's 12 police officers in the entire city, and it's called Corrigan. In 2020, in the city of Corrigan, the 12 police officers pulled over 8,100 motorists. I mean... Ain't, my suspicion is ain't no crime in Corrigan. So this is all that they do. I mean, that's 600 per officer, which is basically they're pulling over two people a day, roughly. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, but this is how they're generating revenue for their city, bro. It is. It is I mean, exactly how they're doing. As a matter of fact, you brought up on, on this one little stat that's on this article, the money that the city of Palmer collected from fines made up 40% of their general funds. 40%. And uh, Palmer's just outside of uh, Dallas. I'm, if you take 45, it's over there by Ennis, uh, right after Ennis, I think. Yeah, like on and the way old, down to Houston. Yeah. Uh, my old friend Monte Rager went oh, I know. from. It's, uh, it's in between Ferris in and Ennis. It's north of yes. Ennis and south of Ferris. All right. Like smack dab right in the middle there. Yep. Uh, but, dude, it's like 40% from basically traffic f- traffic stops yeah and uh the, i think this is lowest the latest trend in uh in communities um and so now nah, dude when i get on the highway bro i basically put it on cruise control that's what i do i don't know why people don't use cruise control all the time i mean i, I anytime we are on the interstate i am on cruise control going usually eight over like i don't even like to go eight over anymore man i'm like uh I probably stood at eight unless I feel a little uncomfortable and I dip to five or six because, you know, you just never know. And I don't feel like being bothered. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it, it's 
I have driven by on the interstate. Like, I don't even slow down if there's a cop gunning people. And, and I've, it, it, like, to me, they'll give you seven, eight over. It's once you get, like, double digits and you're pushing it that they're going to swing by and get you. And it's, it's one of those things. It's interesting because, you know, we all talk about, hey, man, you got to be careful. Like, if you ever go on a road trip and you drive through, like, some rinky-dink little small town, you've got to make, like, interstate's one thing. But if you ever have to get off the main interstate and you're like on the highway, like the, apparently the city of Corrigan, which I was unfamiliar with, but it's, I mean, you talk about out in the middle of nowhere. It's it's in southeast Texas. It looks like, like man, maybe an hour northeast of Houston, just, south, just south of Lufkin. Yeah. Like um, out, uh, out there in the middle of nowhere, like out past Crockett and Lufkin. Yeah, which is why they're trying to draw up revenue for the city. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, in the middle of nowhere. Well, zooming in, they do have a Whataburger, so very nice. But <laughs> it it looks like so there's a highway that goes through at 59 and then Highway 287. And where they meet is where this city is. And I guarantee you, man, like on those little tiny highways like that, when you're not on the main interstate and you go through towns like this, it'll say because like normally it'd be like 65 or whatever on, on the out right. nowhere. And then you get closer to town, it's 55 and then 45. And then you get close, like in the downtown, it'll be like 30. And I guarantee you, man, those cops are sitting there. And if you're not going 32, they will gun you at 36. They'd be like, nope. And you're like, well, it was just 45. Like, hey, man, here's your ticket. Thanks for coming through and supporting our town. No, that's exactly what they do, man. They hit you uh, right as as the speed changes. And they do it so quickly. The speed, you know, it may only be a mile or two while you're at one level. And that, I mean, it's just, just the game. <laughs> it is. That's exactly what it is. I mean, it becomes that. I mean, it's just, it's insane. So there's some other cities in Texas here. And again, I have not heard of any of these cities, but these are the cities where you're going to get ticketed because these are the cities like, oh, there's a wreck on the interstate. I decided to take this little side highway and I don't even know where I am. And holy crap, now I'm getting pulled over. But there's another one, which is out there off Highway 77. And this is probably 15 minutes outside of Temple Belton. So, like, I've actually been down this highway before because, like, sometimes if, if 35 gives you problems, you can jump over on 77. It's a little out of the way, but it just depends on, on what's going on on 35. But the city of Lott, L-O-T-T, they, they raised $651,000 from municipal court fines, which is equivalent to over one-third of their general fund. Dude. As we said, this is why it's a game, man. Um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, they spend a lot of time trying to get it. They don't give you a lot of flexibility. You know, the court dates and all that stuff, nobody's showing back up to court to fight it. And so, you know, they understand this, and so they just pull you over. And it doesn't matter what the radar says. They just have a number in mind, bro. I guarantee you that the combined population of all these towns that we're talking about is probably less than 10,000 combined Probably. like seriously oh because there, here's another one this is called Riesel, and it might be it might be Riesel. i have no idea i've heard I, of them dude i've been, i've been to waco a million times in my life i've never heard of this town and it's it's just outside of waco like on the east side of waco it's in mcclennan county and Riesel has 1062 people in the in the little town and it's crazy because you look at their numbers 87% of motorists who were stopped drove away with the ticket. Those tickets made up over 50% of the town's general fund. <laughs> it's what they do, man. 
And so that's why, you know, when you're headed out, bro, you just have to understand when you're when you're not near the big cities, you either got to put the cruise control on or you got to handle it because they're unforgiving. You're not they're going to get you. Uh, I was coming from somewhere. Where was I coming from recently? Oh, I, I, I wasn't even I was just taking a drive and it wasn't even that far, man. But it was on a I can't. Basically, I saw four cops. Uh, stop people in about a uh, 10 mile radius wow <laughs> and it was coming up uh you know what bro it was over there by palmer and <laughs> it wasn't in palmer but it was that stretch of 45 and i yeah. was just like there was because i remember thinking to myself damn they are literally stopping people every five minutes yeah man i mean you gotta be you really, really, really being on the interstate is one thing, you know, like you really got to speed on the interstate. But, man, you get off the interstate and you're going through some of these small towns. If you're not paying attention to the speed limit, they will get your ass. Now, what I didn't realize, and I thought this was interesting, apparently the state of Texas to curb aggressive ticketing prohibits towns with less than 5000 people from using radars. So if that's true. How the hell do they know that you're speeding? I don't know. Municipalities that generate more than 20% of their annual revenue from speed enforcement must report their earnings. If it rises above 30%, the extra must be turned over to the state. Oh, well, I like that. But, you know, they still build it into their budget. Like, we're going to take this 30% yeah. or we're going to take this 40%. So I, I like that. And then setting for those because like actual legitimate ticket quotas is illegal in Texas, but officers say they recently faced consequences if they didn't cite enough drivers for traffic violations. Oh, we all know that, man. First of the month, I mean, end of the month, you better really be careful. Yeah, you got to watch out. And, you know, it's interesting because where I live here in the Birmingham area, they are doing some construction. And so they recently there's a stretch of road like going into our neighborhood, like right by it on the highway that it used to be 45 miles an hour and then they lowered it to 35 miles an hour and then that stretch where you're going through construction is 25 miles an hour well if you live here you drive through it every day so you know and and so i'll go like i'll go like 30 in the 25 man the other day i had somebody behind me like laying on their horn and stuff and i'm going what are you doing man like he was all pissed <laughs> off obviously missed that it dropped down that low now there wasn't a cop there but i talked about it on the radio and i was like okay like people in this city, like if you're an officer, like you guys could pay for new parks, you could pay for a new city hall, whatever you want. You could pull over 15 people a day in that stretch right by my house. Damn. Cause everybody's speeding. Like so many people, they fly through it and they speed. And it, like the people that live in this area, it's nuts, man, because I'm just, I'm like, God, can we, like, if you're going to put up the speed limit and you're going to make it that low, then enforce it. So people will follow it. Because otherwise it no. becomes too dangerous because I'm going 25 to 30 and here comes a car flying up on me going 55. <laughs> yeah. What's your best speeding story? Oh, I've got a good one. And now I, I'm going to knock on wood a little bit here. I have not been pulled over for speeding. Well, that's not true. I forgot. A couple of years ago, and this was just an honest mistake. Maddox was in the car with us and it was over in like the Keller area on the other side of South Lake. And I thought that the speed limit was 70 and it was 65. And I, I honestly didn't realize, like I had my cruise control on and everything. And like when the cop pulled in behind me, I was like, what the hell? And he goes, do you know how fast you were going? And I, I think I was going 76. I was like, yeah, I'm going 76. I was like, I had it on cruise control. Like what's, and he goes, it's 65 on this chunk. I was like, is it really? He goes, yeah. I was like, man, I, I, 
I go, you got me, man. And, and he just gave me a warning. But that was the last time, and that's probably the only time in the last 15 years I've been pulled over for speeding. But the best speeding story that I have, and you got to realize I was young, okay? I was, <laughs> I was in my 20s. I, was, I think I was like 24, 25 years old. I was living in Florida at the time. And the girl that I was with, I'll never forget this because it was Memorial Day weekend. And we lived in the Gainesville area of Florida. And we were going with some friends to Clearwater Beach, which is over in Tampa, which from Gainesville is probably like an hour and a half. It's not bad at all. And we were supposed to follow them, but we lost them in traffic. So I was trying to speed to catch up to them. And I, I was going very fast. Like I was it, I was going too fast. We come over this ridge and I zip by a highway patrolman sitting underneath the bridge. And I looked at her and I go, oh, my God, I'm going to get pulled over. She's like, how do you know? I was like, because I'm speeding a lot. And I sure enough see now the traffic was good enough to where he couldn't get out. Like I saw him flip his lights on and he was trying to wait for a break in the traffic so he could pull out on the interstate. Now, that saved my ass because that gave us uh, enough of a gap where instead of slowing down, I was like, well, he already got me. I'm just going to speed up and see if I can get away from him. (laughs) So I'm weaving. I mean, this is horrible. This is a horrible, horrible, dumb thing to do. Like never in a million years would I do this in my age now. But, you know, in your in your 20s, you're like, oh, no big deal. You know, you're invincible and all this. So I'm flying down the road and I see an exit for a rest stop. So I exit. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe he won't have seen this exit and he'll just fly right by. Probably 30 seconds after I pull into the rest stop, this dude comes flying into the rest stop area with his lights on and everything. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm standing outside the car. I'm on my phone, the fake on my phone. I wasn't really on my phone. He pulls up right next to us, gets out of his car. And I like, I'm like, I just started talking and I was like, man, we've been here for like 20 minutes. I don't know where you guys are. We've been sitting around waiting for you guys. <laughs> And he looks at me and he looks at the car and then he looks back at me and I can sit there and he, I, it seems like he's like, man, I'm pretty sure this is a car, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> and I'm just like trying to like make, sell the fact that I've been sitting there for a minute and he just, I see him just kind of shrug and he get back in his, his patrol car and drove away. <laughs> Look at you. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was speeding, speeding. Like I wasn't going like 78 and a 70. I was going probably over 90 and a 70. I mean, I was hauling wow. ass. So the fact that I, that that happened and that I didn't get a ticket, I mean, I was freaking out on the inside. Like when he came flying into that rest stop, I thought I'm going to jail. Like hmm. he's going to arrest me. And I, I so I, I was like, at this point, I mean, I just got to try to sell this as best I can. I mean, I got nothing to lose. Bro, that's fantastic. Yep. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I mean, and that was, you know, cause I, oh, I have another one where, and this is, I mean, I swear I guess as you get older, at least for me, I just don't drive as fast anymore. Like, I'm not in a hurry as much anymore. But when I was younger, like in college, I'm 19 years old. And the girl I was dating at the time went to Baylor. And I went for a year, I went to Howard Payne University, which is in Brownwood, which is probably like two hours from Baylor, from Waco. And we would take turns like, you know, one weekend she'd come see me. And then the next weekend I'd go see her. And it's Highway 84 you take, which goes through like Gatesville and Goldthwaite up until you get up to Brownwood. On my birthday, I went to go see her for my birthday weekend and I'm driving back. It is my birthday. It is February 15th is the day. And I'm going, I don't know what the speed limit is. And I'm sure it's probably like 65. 
and I'm speeding. I'm trying to get home. It's at night. I got class the next day. I get pulled over and the cop pulls me over and he comes up to the window and I give him my license and he goes, oh, it's your birthday today, huh? I was like, yeah. He goes, all right, well, how about this? Happy birthday. I'm going to let you go with the warning because it's your birthday. So stop speeding. All right. And I was like, man, I thank you so much. I don't listen to the guy and I'm just driving down the road. I kid you not, like 45 minutes later, I got pulled over again by a different guy in a different area. And that guy gives me a ticket. <laughs> well, damn, dog. I but mean, I mean, know. you get pulled over twice in, in an hour time frame. Like, wait, I'm a dumbass. I should have listened to the first guy. I mean, he gave me a birthday present by not ticketing me. But no, college 19-year-old Matt is like, oh, okay, that's sweet. No way I'll get pulled over twice in the same day. Oh, young man arrogance. Man, I'm t- but that's what it is, you know? I mean, like, when you're young, that's why, like, now, I think it's wild because when you're that age and you first get to drive, oh, man, you're, I'm so old and I can drive and I'm cool. And now you look at it and you see these kids that are turning 16 driving, you're like, who the hell is giving these kids driver's licenses? <laughs> like, there's no way 16-year-olds should be able to drive. What are we doing? <laughs> Dude, it be like that sometimes, man. We've all been bad drivers. I mean, the fact that my kid's going to be able to legally drive in four and a half years blows my mind. Oh, well, wait till your kid zooms past you on the highway. See, and that's like, dude, I still do that today. Even like if it's my parents or if it's like the lady friend's parents and and we're behind them somewhere, I'm always like, I don't want to pass them because I don't want them to think that I'm like some crazy driver speeding everywhere. Well, Even if they're going really dude. slow, because sometimes my, my, like, you know, and I love you guys. Not I know you're listening, but sometimes y'all drive slow. Not your dad. It's got to be your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just that way. Sometimes you get behind them and you're like, okay, you know, and they'll go like if it's 70 and they go 70, I'm like, all right, well, I'm, it's, it's kind of like if you ever pass a cop on the interstate, you know, it, it's like, well, he's not going to pull me over for going 73. Right, right. You know, but he's going 70. Nobody's actually going to drive the speed limit. I'm going around this guy. That happened to me on, on when we drove to Texas a couple of months ago. There was, a, there was a highway patrolman, and nobody would pass this guy on a two-lane highway. And he was going under the speed limit because I got behind him, and I put my car in cruise control, and we were doing like 67 and a 70. It's like, this is ridiculous. But nobody would pass him. And I, I said, I'm passing him. And she looked at me, and she said, he's going to pull you over. It's like, for what? For if I go 72, we'll get away from him, and then we can go as fast as we want. And, and he's not going to. And sure enough, I put it on 73, and we went right around him, and no big deal. And, and I was the only car that broke out of the line to pass this guy. Everybody else, like, horrified. Well, you know, that's because you got balls. Well, I was like, I don't want to drive all the way to Texas going 67 and a 70. I was like, I got places to be, man. This is a long drive. True that, true that. And if he had pulled me over, I would have told him that. I was like, come on, dude. Like, we're, we're not driving, like, across town. We're going to Texas. All right? So that five miles an hour, that puts us 50 miles an hour or 50 miles ahead of you because you're driving so damn slow. And by the time we get to where we're going, that's just how I feel about it, in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> so, there, man, yeah, you set me off down the rabbit hole on these things. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to, like, all these random-ass memories of getting out. I remember the first time I ever got pulled over in my life, and I was horrified. Oh. I cried. 
in front of the officer or after he left? I don't think in front. Of, I think when I got home, I was 16 years old. Me and Brandon, he was supposed to spend the night at my house that night, and we had gone to Blockbuster. And there's debate on who said what. I'm. I believe that he started it. He says that I started it. Regardless, we both had our own cars. We go to Blockbuster. We rent movies we we're going to watch, and we're going back to my house. And he, in my memory, I he looked at me and said, "All right, it's on." And he says that I'm the one that looked at him and said, "Okay, we're racing." And I was like, "I don't think I, I. It doesn't matter." So we get it, and we're on Ridge Road out in Rockwall, and I mean, it's it's multiple lanes now. It used to be one lane each way, and so once we get out towards Heath, I don't know why we did this because you're 16 and you're a dumbass. But <laughs> he passes me in a no passing zone to get in front of me. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to pass you. So I pass him in a no-passing zone. Well, bro, no good can come from this story. Neither one of us is paying attention that there could be a cop somewhere on the road, and sure enough, there is one. He sees us do this, and I'm sure he just is laughing his ass off, going, what the hell are these people doing? He goes, and so Brandon gets back in front of me, and so the cop, because Brandon's the lead car, the cop flies around me and gets behind Brandon. And I'm like, oh, and I am freaking out. So I turn off into a neighborhood and I'm driving around and I, I swear like 15, 20 minutes goes by. And I sat in the neighborhood for a while. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm probably good. Well, for those of you that are familiar with Heath and the Rockwell area, if you take 740 all the way out to Heath, and I think they've redone the roads, but it used to end in a T-stop where you had to turn either left or right. I get to the T-stop to go take the turn to my house to where we lived, and sitting there at the T-stop on the side of the road is Brandon and the cop. The cop, <laughs> Brandon points at me, the cop shines his flashlight at me and motions for me to, to pull over. <laughs> and I do it, and I'm freaking out, and he goes, oh, you thought you got away, huh? He goes, I knew if I sat here long enough, your friend told me you're supposed to be together tonight. I knew you'd come back. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry, you know. And he writes me a ticket and he writes Brandon a ticket. And we're both freaking out because we have never been pulled over before ever. And this is our first ticket as as driving by ourselves. Uh, we both got a ticket for reckless driving and something oh, else. Passing a no passing. Tickets. Yeah. And we both were freaking out. And he was like, I, I can't spend the night. I have to go home now. I was like, I know my parents are going to be so pissed. And I'll never forget this. I get home and I walk in. I just break down. I, I thought my parents were going to be livid. Like, I thought they would be upset, like, irresponsible. How could you do all that? And my dad is just laughing. He's like, why are you so upset? And I was like, I got pulled over. And I thought it was it. He's like, it's okay. He goes, people get pulled over. He's like, just don't do it again. Le learn from it. He's like, you don't need to be so upset. And I was like, okay, okay. But I ended up having to get community service. I had, I had to pay a little bit of a fine, and then we got community service, and we had to take defensive driving, and I ended up getting like 15 or 20 hours of community service, and so that summer, I worked two hours a day for like three weeks straight at the library, cleaning shelves and wiping off books and crap for my community <laughs> service that I was given. Wow. Yeah, bro. man. <laughs> so there's that story for everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Down the rabbit hole of Matt's getting pulled over stuff. I mean, man. Who knew I had so many of them? Yeah, I'm impressed. Thank you. Yeah, it's happened. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't really do anything that would cause me to get pulled over anymore. I don't run lights. I, I stop at stop signs. I don't really speed. You know, I go a little over the speed limit, but I'm not outrageous about it. Right. 
I just calm down. I guess you calm down when you get older. It's just not worth it. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's it's, it's like now, you know, I remember my dad telling me this when I was younger. It's, it's stuff like that. Like once you start paying for your own stuff, you kind of realize I don't want to pay for this. Like I don't want to peel my tires and slam on my brakes because it's just going to wear them out quicker and I'll have to buy more tires. Ain't that the truth. You know, it's stuff like that that you learn as you get older. It's like, man, take care of what you got. Make sure that you're doing it correctly to last longer because I don't want to have to pay for this crap again. I don't want to pay $200 to speed. I'm, I'm good. I'll go 77 or whatever instead of 84, and we'll call it a day. I'm fine. Oh, that was fun. That was a good one. So let's tell you, if we may, about HFX Foundation Solutions. All that heat, man. I mean, you guys, and we were talking about this before we jumped on the podcast. The heat that you are experiencing in the DFW area in North Texas is insane right now. It plays havoc. We all know how bad foundation can be, how bad the ground is and the soil in Texas. That's why when you start noticing cracks or sticking doors and things of that nature, don't wait. Don't wait. Because what happens is it gets worse. You need to call HFX Foundation Solutions immediately. Aaron and his guys, they're going to come out. It's a free, no obligation inspection. Let them check it out and see if you have something serious or something that's developing so they can get on it right away. Dude, I think the thing about Texas is the soil is so bad. The environment is so hot. It doesn't take much for you to have foundation problems. And if you're not observing at the crib, you know, noticing those cracks and little shifts and all that stuff, man, stuck windows, stuck doors. It can sneak up on you. The reason why you pick up the phone and give Aaron a call is so that doesn't happen. And we all know, man, if you catch something early, it's a fraction of the cost if you catch it late or especially if you catch it really late. So, you know, give Aaron and his team over there at HFX a call. Let them give you a home what we call a colonoscopy for the crib. And, you know, have that peace of mind that comes with it. It's true, man. It's easy to do. You can find them online at hfxfoundation.com or you can give them a call. Again, very easy to do. 817-770-0174. 817-770-0174. It's HFX Foundation Solutions. So before we wrap this thing up, there's a couple of news and notes to go about on this. And one, Wimbledon, the, the men's final of Wimbledon, and we were kind of joking about this before. I've mentioned this before. I don't watch tennis. I'm, I'm not a tennis guy. I, I, I used to when I was younger, and I think if there was a prominent American, maybe I would be more into it. For whatever reason, I, I just haven't been in the last 15 years or whatever it is. But shockingly, I know this will come as a shock. You could take all the majors and say Federer, Djokovic, or Nadal, or literally anybody else on the planet to win the major and you would take one of those three guys and lo and behold novak Djokovic won wimbledon for his 21st major title of his career Nah, man and uh they they've dominated tennis for this last little bit um it's always interesting i heard a conversation a while back with what if they didn't have to deal with each other and they were both like or one of them was like the king right now how many titles would they have I mean, one of them might have 60. I mean, seriously, because Federer has 20, Nadal has 22, and Djokovic just won 21. So that's 63 Grand Slam titles that they've combined won in the last 15 years or whatever it is. So you have to think if Nadal didn't exist, you know, maybe not because Nadal is such a master on clay that, that maybe there would have been a, a few, a handful of other people that would have won majors. You right. know, but, but I, I, I bet one of them would have over 30. 
I mean, I'd have to look it up and see how many times they've played each other in finals, but I guarantee you, I mean, it, it'd be some astronomical number. Well, that kind of dominance is impressive, man. So, I, you know me, I always, uh, I'm always a big fan of greatness. Um, I prefer women's tennis to men. Five sets gets to be a bit much for me, even though I guess it was four in a day. But, um, dude, the dominance is what I get off on, bro. Yeah, and they, uh, I mean, we've never seen anything like this, and, and obviously in tennis, I mean, it's its really, really, really nuts. And you look at the, I mean, for instance, think about this. So Roger Federer won his first Wimbledon in 2003. So in the last 20 years of Wimbledon, Federer has eight, Djokovic has seven. They've won 15 out of the last 20 Wimbledons. I mean, it's just on a level that you, I mean, nobody does this. Nobody does this. Yeah. And they, you know, what? how old are they now? Well, Djokovic, I think, is the youngest one, and he is like 30-something. He's 35. Holy crap. Man, N Nadal must be older than I thought then, because I thought yeah. Nadal, like Federer oh, yeah. is like 40, isn't he? Nadal's 36. Know. Nadal just turned 36. So he and Djokovic are almost the same age. And then Federer's a little bit older. Yeah, Federer's 40. He turns 41 in August. So Federer's probably done. You got to think he's... Surely, you would think, right? I mean, I don't think he's had a Grand Slam title since 2018. All right, yeah, well, then you would think he's done. Yeah, he, so, he, but, I mean, you know, and another... You know, I was going to say, Nadal pulled that abdominal muscle, and that's yeah, what happens right. when you get older. Uh, you know, you just start pulling those muscles, and, you know, can you keep your body healthy enough to, to do what you want to do? Well, what's crazy is, remember when Pete Sampras won... And he has 14 majors. And when he got to 14, it was like, oh, my God, 14, that's incredible. And now you look at it, and, and it's just, it's wild to think that 14 was the number. And now you've got three guys who are 20 and, all, and, and above, and they've all played against each other for the last 20 years. Dude, I mean, it's the, it's the rivalry that makes it interesting. It reminds me of boxing in the 70s where you had Ali and Frazier yeah. and Ken Norton, and you just had a group of guys who were banging on each other. Or when you had the welterweights with Sugar Ray Leonard, and Tommy Hearns and Roberto, Roberto Duran, and they were just all banging on each other. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I obviously never saw that era of boxing, but I think sometimes I wish that I had because, to me, boxing is, I, I don't know. I mean, I know a couple of the guys, but that era of boxing, like the golden era or whatever you wanted to call it, that just doesn't exist anymore. And maybe this is a golden era of tennis. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I used to watch Sampras and Agassi and guys like that back, you know, Jim Courier, in the 90s and stuff when I would watch tennis uh, growing up. And then I don't know why, for whatever reason, I was like, eh. Even Wimbledon. I mean, Wimbledon's a big deal. I, I didn't watch a single minute of it. No, I didn't. Like I tell you, I like women's tennis. And without the Williams sisters really doing a thing, I have to find another reason to watch. Yeah, I guess that's kind of where I'm at as well. So the other thing to bring up here is the Texas Rangers. And it's interesting because you and I were having this conversation. The all-star break obviously is coming. Martin Perez is going to be the only Ranger all-star. He's probably the only guy that actually even deserves it. But you look at this, it's an interesting Rangers team. They struggled out of the gate. They have kind of found their footing. And we've talked about this. They struggled a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but they're still just four games under 500. And it's interesting because I was reading, I don't know, it, it might have been, it must have been Levi Weaver of The Athletic who had something out about it, talking about, and this is a time of year as we get towards the end of July, who are going to be viable trade pieces. 
Well, Martin Perez is going to be one of those guys like a Lance Lynn or a Mike Miner in recent years that a team out there would love to have added it to their rotation for the playoffs. The Rangers have him on an extraordinarily affordable contract. It's a one-year, $4 million deal. He has been by far the best pitcher on the staff. He's older, he's been around, and they like that veteran kind of presence. And according to what I've been reading is they're kind of shy about trading a guy like that because they've been doing that in recent years, trading veteran talent for unproven, taking chances on guys, basically. Like, can we stock our system? And they feel like they're on the cusp of contending, and they may not be looking to do that this year, which to me is interesting because you assume maybe you'll re-sign him. Maybe Perez is like, hey, thanks for giving me another chance. But it's not like it's guaranteed that he's going to be here next year. No, I think a lot of it depends on what kind of prospect you're getting. If you trade him and you're just getting a, a mid, middling project, you might as well keep him, man. To me, it's like, you know, if you want to give me $2,000 for a trade-in, I'll just keep the car and yeah. use it when my other car breaks down or family comes to town or something like that because it's worth more than the 2000 that you want to give me. Um, but, you know, there's also something to be said when the Rangers have been bad for a long time. To come into next spring training, we're a playoff team. Now we're looking to make some noise or whatever their slogan yeah. wants to be. Um, and so you have to weigh that, man. Is it is it worth giving up a chance to play meaningful games in September to get that second wild card spot just to get a, a player or two from a team uh, who may or may not have big league futures? I mean, realistic big league futures. Right, yeah. And, you know, so you just have to weigh that, man. Uh, and so I'd, I'd have conversations, but – you know, Martin Perez, to me, is who he is. Maybe this is a, a career year in year 10, but I would expect, if it is, I would expect him to go back to the mean next year. He's always kind of like your fourth or fifth starter, and to me it's just a matter of what you want him in the locker room to help influence the lighters and the other guys coming through the system when they show up. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality of it because he'll be 32 years old opening day next year. And I just, I get it. He, Like you said, he's having, it is a career year. I mean, this is, he's never been this good. And it's interesting because I just look at that and I wonder, what is it about hanging on to this guy? And I almost wonder if it's like the Darvish situation where you're going to get like a Willie Calhoun level prospect like they got from the Dodgers. Because Perez is is going to be a rental. He, like I said, he, he's not going to be with that team next year. He's free, so that can drive down the price where you won't get what you need. But the Rangers are not a playoff team, and that that extra wild card is going to be really interesting at the deadline to see how teams navigate that. They're four games under five hundred, but they're only four games out of the wild card spot because of that second wild card. And and I just look at it, man, and I and I go. The three teams that are currently in the wild card are Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. And Texas is not on their level. They're just not. There's six games, or I guess they're four games behind Toronto for that final wild card spot. But I just, I don't know, man. Like, like To me, if you got a chance, even if you don't know what it's going to turn out to be, and it ends up being Willie Calhoun, who obviously ended up being a disaster, nobody knew that was going to happen. But you still are at a point in this franchise where you can do some things like that and take some of those chances for the future because the future's coming, but it's it really is not right now. No, it's still like two years away. Um, but you, you want to build a solid foundation so that like the last time when they're good, you can be good for five, six, seven years, get to the World Series a couple of times, hopefully win one this time. 
So, you know, their thing is to just build it properly. And if Martin Perez is a tool to help build it properly, then get rid of him in a trade. And if he's not, uh, have him help lead the young guys. It's it's a decision that you got to trust Chris Young and John Daniels to make. Yeah, and I mean, you can just look in their own division. I mean, obviously, I think the Yankees and the Astros are easily the two best teams in the American League. I mean, the Yankees are doing something that's just absurd. I mean, they've been on a different level than everybody. And that's what's wild. You look around baseball, the Yankees have a 15-game lead in their own division, and the Astros have a 12-game lead. I mean, those divisions are over. And so to me, I look at that as like, okay, I mean, and I don't know, maybe it's worth it. Like, hey, young guys, we're going to fight, we're going to grind. And, and if we can get that last wild card spot, awesome. But this is what we expect, you know, and you're setting that example. Like, and even if we get our ass kicked and we somehow sneak in as a wild card and we get destroyed in the playoffs, putting them through that type of a chase, maybe there's more value in that than trading a Perez and, and looking to the future a little bit. I think it is for a young team. Um, and, you know, it depends on what guys would be on the roster, you know, uh, how you do it. But it's 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 good to have these conversations because we haven't had them for the Rangers in a while. It's always been get rid of your players yeah. and, uh, you know, see if you can stockpile for the future. Yeah, that's been, that's been what it's been. And, and they don't suck, and then I, which is nice. I mean, you look at this. They have been the last month, they're 14 and 16. That's kind of been where they're at. If, if they hadn't stumbled out of the gate so bad, I mean, they're playing basically 500 baseball. And I think that, that that leads to a lot of hope for the next couple of years. Because again, and I know people like to bitch about it, but the Rangers have shown they'll spend money when they believe that they have something to spend money for. And they did it this past offseason. And kind of you look at it now, the hope is that you can continue to do that and develop some things. And I don't know, maybe the door is, is creaking open for another, another type of those runs that we saw, whatever that was, 10, 15 years ago. That'd be kind of awesome. Hell yeah, the World Series trips were two of them. Dude, those were the glory years. Man. <laughs> I'm talking about covering baseball and excitement yeah. and wash and star-studded team with uh, Hamilton and Young and, uh, you know, even the uh, seven-letter cuss word, Kinsley. And so, yeah, you get that back. Hell yeah, you take you take that. Yeah, no doubt, man. That'd, that'd be a lot of fun, but we'll see what they decide to do. I mean, it's still a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline, and yeah, I'll be curious because from what I've been reading, like Martin Perez, if available, there's a lot of thought that he might be the best arm that'll actually be available at the deadline. And if that's the case, you wonder if there is a team that would be willing to drive up the price and, and just offer them something that they just can't turn down which is fine. I mean, th th all that works. I'm all about the future, man, and, and things are bright here. So before we go away, I got to tell you this because this is the most bizarre thing ever. Yeah. So the other night we were hanging out and we were listening to some music and the lady fiance is a huge Taylor Swift fan. and Like she loves her. And, and look, I'm, I enjoy Taylor Swift. I like her music. So I get on Twitter and I just, this is, this is why I tweet out. Taylor Swift is brilliant. You can hate the music, but the lyrics are genius. She writes her own. If you just read the lyrics like poetry, she'd be an historical level poet. She's a songwriting master. Now, okay, maybe that's to the extreme and some of you are laughing your ass off and, and you've never listened to Taylor Swift or read her lyrics and so you don't really know. I do think she's one of the greatest songwriters of all time. I mean, she writes, some of the lyrics are just crazy good. I put this on Twitter, I think nothing of it. It's just my opinion, whatever. I've had a couple beers. It's good times. Bad move. Dude, I woke up the next morning, and my phone is, like, exploding. I'm like, what is going on? And, and so this was <laughs> less than 24, or this is about 36 hours ago. 
It has become my most liked tweet of all time, and it's not even close because apparently <laughs> Taylor Swift has this group of people, like of fans known as the Swifties. Oh. And I guess some of them came across it. This, this tweet has 4,469 likes. Wow. And has been retweeted 651 times. I don't, I don't even have anything to say. I don't either. Like, I mean, yesterday when I woke up and I saw that, I was like, what the hell? And then by, I was like, this is insane. And, and I mean, of all the really cool sports takes that I've had, of all the numbers that I've researched and put out on Twitter, this is the tweet that resonates with people. Hey, man, sometimes it bees like that. I guess so, man. <laughs> I was like, I, I just saw that. I was like, really? Like, really? That's the tweet. And then, of course, you know, some of those people followed me. And I was like, man, they are going to be colossally disappointed. Because I'm just going to basically be throwing out a bunch of sports information and random crap. And, and you guys are, are here because you think I'm probably some, like, hardcore Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> <laughs> But well, I, just, just let your numbers grow and, and leave it alone. But if you are somebody listening and you're you're someone new and you found out about it because of that Taylor Swift tweet and you saw us tweet out about the podcast and now you're listening, welcome. Yeah, we appreciate you. Yes, we're glad that you are here. Everybody have a great week. Enjoy it. We will touch base again on Wednesday with a brand new episode. Keep retweeting, keep tweeting, keep posting it, man. Everybody's effort helps so much when we post links to the podcast and you guys are sharing it. It really helps to grow this thing together. We can't say thank you enough. Very appreciated. So keep at it and we'll keep doing it and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.